Fargo Season 2, Episode 7. Did you do this? No, you did it. It's over, but we're just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. I can't believe that that's actually the title of this episode, but there you go. Anyway, hello everybody. I'm Josh Wiggler. I'm joined here by the Breakfast King of Kentucky, Antonio Mazzaro. No, you did it. No, you did it. You did it. No, you. Did no, you do this? You. No, I think it was this next guy. I think it was The Undertaker himself, Jeremiah Panhorse. What's up? Yes. Actually, you know what's funny is that is the exact line me and my wife have many times whenever uh, one of us finishes going to the bathroom, and it's not very good smelling in there. Wait, your, li- s- your line is The Undertaker, or your line is No, you the, yeah, she'll say, did you do this? And I said, no, you did it. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's that's dirty. Never effort. never works out though, man. She still always blames me. Uh, well, you know, it's it's uh it's a thing that you've said that smells, and I don't know how to deal with it right now. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna good luck with a segue out of that one. I don't have one. I don't have one. It is what it is. Sometimes so, when you're the breakfast king of a certain area, things just happen, Josh. Stop it, stop it, stop it. All right. So I am just gonna do like a hard split screen and a swipe into the next section of this podcast. Here we are talking about Fargo season two, episode seven. I'm back on the podcast thanks for holding it down last week you two and mike bloom stepping in mike bloom being awesome i was really mad at you guys though that uh mace windu syndrome wasn't the hashtag <laughs> well it <sighs> happens you know you just overlook things sometimes I, I was i had it on the brain but it disappeared i don't know I, the force well, I, was not I, with me i blame matt i blame mike bloom it was right in your hand, and it got chopped off and sucked out the window. Yes, something like that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but we're back. We're back. The team is back together. Thank you again, Mike. Uh, let's talk about this week's episode of Fargo. Did you do this? No, you did it. What's the? What's with? Does anyone have any explanation for the title? You know what? I, I not only do I not have one, I didn't even see anything great floating around on the internet uh, for an explanation. What about you, Antonio? Did you see anything? No, I mean, I you could I could just off the top of my head come up with a billion things. I mean, but I don't know that any of them are great. It's interesting because there there's a lot there are a lot of characters kind of who whose fate was sort of sealed by themselves and by their own actions. And I, I'm thinking mostly of Simone. Of course, she doesn't pull the trigger on herself and put her down. But she's certainly responsible for it. The things that she's done have put her in a position where this is very likely to happen. And I think that it's, uh, you know, Milligan's trying to shunt the uh, the death of the Undertaker off on the, the Gerhards. And I know there's a lot of pointing fingers going on. I, I, it's an interesting title for sure. Yeah, because there was yeah. a lot of, you know, people turning on them, themselves. You had both the KC syndicate turning on themselves, and then you've got, of course, uh, the Gerhardt family turning on themselves. So, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, Antonio, that it kind of ties in with that. Yeah. So I think it's like, who who stole the wheelbarrow? Did you steal it? Did I steal it? No, nah, you stole it. So I think there's a little bit of pointing fingers going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, let's point some fingers in the direction of subscribing to this podcast. If you guys haven't been doing that already, you really ought to be doing that. Postshowrecaps.com slash iTunes. And for the Fargo-specific feed, postshowrecaps.com slash Fargo iTunes. Let's dive into this episode the way we normally do this. Let's go around the horn. Let's get some thoughts on the episode as a whole. I'll toss it to you first, Antonio. How are you feeling? Because I know you got some, you got three columns precisely when it comes to this episode. Yeah, I took my notes: the good, the bad, and the ugly. Thankfully, there's only one thing in the ugly column, and I think longtime listeners to this podcast can probably take and hazard a guess at what that might be. But uh, look, the things that are great about this, that are good about the show are great. Like the things that are really good about the show are not just really good; they're transcendent or they're sublime. They're they put a huge smile on my face. I'm grinning like a goon just kind of watching some of these scenes and watching people chew scenery, just the things that go on. Fantastic stuff. And this was my favorite episode 
of the series, not of the season, not the series, but of this particular season. This was my favorite. has a lot to do with the ending and how it is one of those great kind of gut punch endings, and it makes me very eager to start the next episode as opposed to other endings which sort of peter out or aren't as lively as that. So that has a lot to do with it, but there's so many great memorable kind of sequences and scenes in this particular episode, some great shots. Uh, some It was a little heavy on the Coen Brothers call-outs, if I'm being honest, uh, but still great stuff there especially with the miller's crossing stuff so i'm a uh, i was a big fan of this episode in particular yeah. even though there were things about it that bothered me yeah i think that was that was the alan seppenwall critique uh over at hit fix the prolific alan seppenwall uh not to steal that title away from steve davis but <laughs> alan seppenwall uh had talked about this as the most overtly coney episode by far this is what he writes with nods at various points to the big lebowski hank offers to cut off his toe mike milliken says sometimes there's a man and we hear a version of i just dropped in to see what my, what condition my condition was in twice oh brother where art thou miller's crossing uh even fargo itself for the the most part, I've enjoyed these tips of the trooper's hat at the show's inspiration, but this was the first installment of the season where I agreed with the occasional complaint that the references can be a distraction from a story and characters that are strong enough to stand on their own. So that, that's what Seppenwall wrote. Yeah, and I, about- I don't agree with that. I don't, I don't feel like they were a distraction per se. Yeah. I just – I do feel like they don't have to work as hard as they do to kind of shoehorn some of them in. I think you can be a little too cute with it uh, and it's not – this isn't a criticism because I'm – The Big Lebowski is one of my all-time favorite movies of the movies that exist in the world. I've watched it in probably more than just about four or five other flicks. So I'm, I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of that movie. And so I hear Big Lebowski Lebowski call-outs unintentionally in conversation every single day, and I'm likely to repeat the dialogue back to the person and look like a crazy person. So I love the Knutson's reference. I love the sometimes there's a man. I'm a big fan of the what condition my condition's in. I just think that the show uh, doesn't necessarily have to have all those things to make me a very big Coen Brothers fan happy a little bit, and, and nailing it tonally is what's most important to me. And I think that's where the show does really well. Yeah. And I think the reason why I disagree with it a little bit is because the the fact is the average viewer is not someone who has seen a, every Coen brother like a hundred different times is going to be pick up on those things. I think I'm a, actually a very good example of this as Antonio obviously is a hardcore fan who has seen these movies many, many times myself. I think there's only a handful of movies that I, that there's that I love so much that I've seen multiple times. Fargo being one of them, uh, no country for old men, a few of those I've seen plenty of times. Yeah. But so for the average goer, though, like myself, I didn't even pick up on them. I had to read other people saying, all that. I'm like, oh, yeah, I think I do remember that part. So I think it's not too big of a distraction because the majority of viewers just are not going to pick up on it. So, right. I, you know, but I understand where he's coming from. It's definitely a distraction for someone who really is analyzing the, the show like 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 ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with, with where you're at, Jeremiah, that there was a lot of it that I didn't notice. I noticed a lot of the Big Lebowski stuff because Big Lebowski, I wouldn't say I, I definitely wouldn't worship it the way that you do, Antonio. I love that movie, but it sounds like it's, you know, it's one of your ride or dies. Yeah, I've been um, to multiple Lebowski fests. And, yeah. You know, like I went to Lebowski bar. I went to Lebowski bar in Iceland. Nice. That sounds amazing. Have you, wow. have you heard of that? It's, nice. a, it's, it's a bar in Reykjavik where they've got an extensive menu of white Russians. I'm surprised oh, really? that bar's not in Moscow. 
it's good. I like it. It's, <laughs> it's great. You know, it, it, it still, it just feels more Cohen-esque to me than I'm going to be picking up on the, on all of the specific Cohen references. So that, that didn't bug me so much. Yeah. It doesn't, um, it doesn't, I don't think it gets in. I think Jeremiah is right. I think yeah. that even if, and, and, and uh, even as someone who has seen a lot of these movies, a lot of the time, I mean, some of them I've watched a lot less than others, but the big Lebowski is definitely one that I've constantly, constantly watched since it came out. And I don't mind it. I love it. I love the little call outs and I'm nuts enough about that, that I'm going to hear them even if they're not intentional. So good for them. I love the reference to the Knudsen's especially that made me laugh a lot. Uh, and I, I just, I don't have a problem with it like that. That said, I, I wish that the show didn't feel that they needed to do as much as they've done. Um, the soundtrack stuff was great, but it's, it's sort of evocative. I, you know, I've gotten to discussions with friends where if you have a song that's been like very popularly in a movie, like, uh, I don't know, like, uh, like Layla and Goodfellas, the outro or something like that, that everyone associates with a thing. And then you put it in something else. You, you have to be acutely aware of that and you have to be aware of what you're doing. And sometimes you can do that to make a point, like a really subtle kind of clever thing, but you have to be careful with that. And I think the soundtrack, uh, with the, the overt Cohen stuff is the only one that can sometimes get in the way for me. So you, did you, what were your thoughts on what condition my condition is in playing us out of the episode? Cause for me, I was watching this on my computer. I had big, I have these big honking headphones on my head right now that I was watching and listening with this on. And I just found myself like kind of, kind of grooving. Like yeah. I just felt my, I felt it really just like, I felt myself bouncing around being like, Oh man, I've been waiting for Ed to show up in this episode the whole time. And he's got Dodd. This is an amazing way to end this episode. And I just like, I think that the music played a huge role in just like getting you bumping there. Yeah. That was go, great. Yeah. Did you, Go groovy man right yeah, afterwards. I yeah, I did. <laughs> that I was I was I was appreciative of that. I don't think it needed to play earlier in the episode if you were gonna play a different cover of it at the end. So right, right. I think mm-hmm. that, that it's it's and that's again, that's a really minor criticism because when it played early in the episode, I'm all about it still. It's just I, I feel like you have to be a little bit careful. Um, with some of those things that are iconic. We had uh, what I counted were four direct kind of Coen Brothers music references in this episode alone. Uh, and I think we have to be a little bit, I think we have to little be, uh, be a little bit cognizant of that. Like uh, it, it, it's not, it's not that it takes me out of the story. I don't agree with Seppenwall, but I sit there like, oh, that's a no- another Coen Brothers reference. So all of a sudden I'm not paying attention to the narrative. Uh, but if he thinks people are doing that, then fair play. Uh, I just, it wasn't like that for me. I just think that th- this show has such a fantastic soundtrack that I don't think they need to borrow so heavily from the Coens to, to, to do really well. Right. And in Seven Walls defense, he goes on to say the parts of the hour that worked were so great that I will happily forget. And that's, a, that that's absolutely how I feel. Yeah. Um, Jeremiah, let's get your take. What did you think of this episode? Oh, I thought it was another solid episode. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like you. One of the things that I read about Seven Wall that I did agree with about the part where there was some a little confusion about, you know, what day we're in, how many days have passed and those kinds of things. But I think uh, just like he said, like you just said, I, I was able to overlook all those things. I thought there were so many fantastic moments. You know, like Simone's final moments was fantastic out there yeah. in, in the woods. Uh, I thought the, the the little moments with between Betsy and Carl was fan was just great. I mean, the interactions yeah. there was really good. Floyd in the inter, uh, being interrogated in the, in the inter, interrogation room was just great. And then of course Mike killing the Undertaker like that was just brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. So I, I, I think there's just enough there to where anything I did not thought was working was able to easily overlook. So 
Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And I, th- I think you guys summed up a lot of, uh, a lot of my thoughts on this too, which is just that some of these scenes were such powerhouse scenes that I was really, I was really in awe. The Carl and Betsy one, I can't wait to talk about, uh, that, that in particular really, really knocked me for a loop. And Baron Simone, that, that walk, uh, was, was a walk to remember for sure, as oh, they yeah. say in other parts. Uh, so let's dive into this thing and let's start with, with, um, what, one of the, one of these scenes that I just, I, I didn't know exactly where we were going with the window washers coming up and who knows our, what, what's happening here. Where are we even? And as soon as they, you know, duck down and pull up the guns, you just know that we're in for a very classic Fargo moment when they just spray these KC mob people with bullets and it's just really well shot. I really loved that scene. I thought that that was a great way to kick this thing off. Yeah, that made it into the good of my of my three columns. Uh, I really like the kind of the rapidly dwindling numbers around Milligan and his hotel suite throughout. Uh, that sequence sort of starts the the, the you know the notice he puts everyone on notice i think that the gearhearts are really striking back against kansas city and doing some serious work uh and you know whether it's window washing or uh some people like you get the jethro tall playing and then you see right. Milligan kind of playing back i thought that was all really good yeah yeah and i think one of the things that was cool about it too is just the way that this whole sequence was shot before we start getting into some of the dialogue is it's not just like the the various uh you know assassinations that we're seeing in this sequence we are also seeing like shovels going through the dirt and that's you know signifying the bodies that are being buried at the gerhardt compound but you also see spoons digging into sugar and swirling that sugar into coffee and like that's the other (laughs) that's the other piece of the battlefield where people are fueling up and drawing up the plans so i thought that it was just a really cool overview of what the conflict between the kc mob and uh and and the gerharts in fargo looks like right now yeah i love, love the transition shot with the coffee cup from going from going down the drain of to the toilet and then all of a sudden we see the coffee it was like it was great i love yeah that. yeah well it made you like not want to drink coffee for a while. no that's probably true but i have a really weird sense of humor so i thought it was pretty funny obviously, yeah, obviously we you guys established yeah. <laughs> as we established at the top of this thing yeah we're not I, I was trying to just walk past that josh no you can't no, obviously we're, you guys are not sorry. Yeah. Leave it to me to bring it into the toilet, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Classic, <laughs> classic, classic pan horse. Uh, but here, maybe now we're making it a little bit into the bad, would be my guess, Antonio, uh, in your bad column, which is Otto Gerhardt is dead? Yeah. How did that happen? Yeah, it's in when the bad. Did the, <laughs> when did this happen? We hinted at this on our podcast last week because the, the trailer for the – we actually did that separate spoiler section, of course – because the trailer for this episode made clear that at least one and probably more Gerhardt members, family members, were being buried in the next episode. And Simone was said, I told you to kill the, you kill me, not the old cripple, you know. So, yeah, Milligan and, and, and one kitchen brother, Kitchenette, uh, go to the Gerhardt clan last week. And they, they advance on the house and shoot it up when Simone has called Milligan and told him that everyone is away. They shoot the house up for whatever reason. I think they accidentally kill Otto. They didn't intend to do it because they leave Simone and Floyd alive, uh, even though they clearly seemingly could have overrun the house based on the fact that they killed the red shirts outside, had a whole lot of people, were able to put Otto down. So it is, I don't know, strange cr- credibility or a little bit. Uh, it's a little questionable why Milligan didn't just roam through the house and kill everyone on site. 
Uh, it also is, I think, just kind of a bad call to have this character who we got a throwback to in the movie theater. We had Michael Hogan playing the role. Uh, we had a lot. He was present throughout a lot of what was going on in the season, and then he just dies off screen. I just thought it was kind of lame. I was sad about this. I love Michael Hogan. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad we're talking about this because it, it definitely did bother me. I mean, I I said last week I thought that it that none of this made any sense to me. I could not figure out why Mike wanted to take this information and go up there unless he was planning on taking them all out. But he, you know, apparently we're not even sure if, like you said, if he even meant to kill Otto, which we don't know for sure about that or not. And so it's like in. What you left Floyd alive? I mean, she's pretty much running this thing. I mean, if they went up there to kill her, I would completely understand. I'd be like, okay, this makes a lot of sense. Take out the boss right now while you got the chance. Makes sense, but that's not what happened. And right. it's just like it's a, that's you know, and I don't want to spend too much time dogging on on the show that's so great. But yeah, that was one thing that was just a flaw. It was just like, ah, oh, really? Uh, yeah. yeah, you know it. It does make you wonder, like, why Milligan went and hit the Gerhardt compound to begin with. They weren't just going to go through with the full job. But it felt it feels very half measure for a guy who has been painted as sort of Anton Chigurh-ish. These are the uh, kind. These are the kind of moves, Josh, to get you the Undertaker after you. That's what happens. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think that I think Jeremiah's got a point. I think that Milligan hasn't exactly been great at his job, and it is surprising that that that's one of those sort of. Uh, counter moves let's call it a blindside if you will when okay. he goes to the house and he blindsides the simone and blindsides floyd uh, when he's been given the information that all the the gerhardt men are gone uh, and then he just he doesn't carry through with it he has the perfect opportunity to as jeremiah points out take the person who they've been negotiating with and take her completely out of it hell he can kill otto at the same time and he he doesn't do it and we don't know why i think that a lot of what's happening that is that is sort of frustrating to me about this show a lot of it that is happening is happening off screen and i think this week is a perfect example of how you can have things happen off screen and get a lot of credit for it because you can surprise the audience and i'm talking mainly about ed of course at the phone booth at the end but you can also have things off screen where the audience just ends up scratching their heads. And I think that's the bad thing that, that Alan kind of writes about, Seppenwall kind of writes about when he writes about people being confused or being taken out of the story. I think the logic that isn't displayed by a lot of these characters who we're seeing as badasses, as Jeremiah points out, um, but we're also maybe seeing Milligan as a person who needs uh, better lessons. So maybe he isn't that much of a badass and maybe he's made some bad choices. It's just I don't think you can have some things happen off screen with certain characters uh and in not have people scratching their heads wondering like why how the heck did ed get away with two cops in a car following right behind him they like, didn't follow right behind it drove in the other direction yeah and why did they drive in the other direction like why they had other stuff to do yeah why did hank why did hank leave peggy and even hank is like why didn't i go back and check on her it's like you know he's an actor he's like asking himself like why did my character do something dumb this time Listen, right. Antonio, he got hit on the head pretty good, buddy. Come on now. He got hit on the head really good, and his mind is probably elsewhere considering it got zapped up by aliens. Oh, so sure, anyway, that's probably there, what it is. There's a lot of these things that happen off screen. I don't mind that Hansy is killing people in a bar off screen. I like that. I like that that things are happening and we're sort of hearing about them because we don't mm -hmm. really know the details. But it does bother me when things happen off screen that don't really make a lot of sense and they don't 
they don't add to the show. In fact, they detract from it, and they make me think that these characters do deserve the Undertaker instead of deserving a promotion. But yeah, I mean, listen, I think that um, the the idea of you know you you bring up Ed showing up at the end of the episode, and that's cool to have off screen for a big moment. I think that the other one that's probably a good touchstone is if we're talking about losing Michael Hogan's character here in a way that's kind of like really that's how we're going to kill this guy who was such a big deal and we left him alive in the parking lot shootout and everything. We're just going to have him kind of die off screen, and we're just going to say that yeah. Yeah, he caught a stray during that shootout. Um, I think you contrast that with Joe Bulo, um, who we don't see how Joe Bulo gets killed, but we see him in the dangerous situation right. where he's really in, mm-hmm. you know, he's staring down the face of inevitability. And then the next thing you see from him is a head in the box and you can fill in the blanks. Sure, there. that's great. You know, but there was no moment of Michael Hogan in bed as the Gerhardt compound is getting shot up that I can recall. No, I think he was sitting in the kitchen. I think Simone had been feeding him over by the yeah. dining room, the dining table. And then she got up, not Simone, uh, Floyd. And then Floyd said, Simone, stay. I want to talk to you. And they walked over toward the sink and the windows. And they were talking mm-hmm. about how it's a woman's time and all that. And that's when the windows started getting shot up. They dropped to the ground and, and presumably crawled to safety. But the room that Otto was in, our Otto was in, got shot up pretty heavily so he must have caught a bullet in that sort of interaction right so yeah i mean i just don't know why you don't show that yeah i don't know why either yeah i mean if this is the case why didn't why don't we just have them take him out back in the episode where they had to hit on in the parking lot of the doctor's office that would have been more satisfying if we would have had that 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 uh, I don't know. Okay. And it's just such it's just such a bummer because you could have had Michael Hogan give like one final like you fracking Kansas City mob. <laughs> That's yeah, exactly it, right. Is right. it possible the, that we're that a little re, more that he respawned somewhere? Yeah. Well, is it is it possible <laughs> we're a little more upset about this because we didn't because we like Michael Hogan more than the average viewer because yeah. of BSG. Entirely possible. I'm there, that's very, probably I'm what very, it is, Antonio. I'm very happy to cop to that. That Saltai is my favorite Battlestar Galactica character. So to see <laughs> to see him <laughs> to see him get the off screen death here definitely rubbed me wrong. Uh, so okay, we can we can leave it there. Goodbye, old bear. Uh, goodbye, XO. XO, Or what? What do they call him? The lion, right? Yeah, He's the lion. lion, not the bear. The bear is his kid. The maiden fair is somebody else. Uh, but that's <laughs> that's the end for him. And it's really just looking like uh, the honeymoon's over here for the Gerhards. Not only is he dead, not only is Rye dead, Dot is missing. This makes Antonio very happy, but it's causing a lot of turmoil on the compound. Yeah, I think everybody wants to know where Dodd is for different reasons, of course. People all have their own agendas vis-a-vis Dodd. But yeah, this is not good that Dodd's missing. Uh, presumably, uh, we're going to probably find out that he was knocked out. Ed does make it home. They knew exactly where Ed was going and still somehow didn't get him. Ed makes, <laughs> Ed makes it home. Peggy's there waiting because somehow Peggy didn't get cleared out either. And yeah, they probably throw him in the trunk of the car and go on about their business. So here we are, <laughs> probably headed to Sioux Falls, it sounds like. It sounds like. Now, every, everybody up there was upset except for bear because he's an angry bear and he's not he doesn't like dodd yeah angry bear is real angry <laughs> angus samson as bear gerhardt in this episode for me is mvp yep yeah oh absolutely and you know i really think i think i figured this out guys while i was re- doing my rewatch i'm not seeing him eating have you ever heard of the term hangry <laughs> I think what's happened here with Bear is he hasn't been getting enough food, and that's what's caused him to be so angry in this episode. Because yeah, he's, hang- he's a hangry bear. He's a, a hangry bear. Because oh. earlier in the season he was eating, he was eating turkey legs. He was right. drinking half and half. He was a happy yeah. bear. Yeah, right. he was yeah now he's a hangry bear. Somebody give that man a turkey leg. Yes, yeah, quick. Yeah, well, too late for Simone, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Nope, that's too late for her. But yeah, oh, hangry bear. 
did it you guys happens. happen to catch that in this early montage where some of the, uh, you know, Bear comes back and he's like, uh, we had some ups and downs. Uh, you know, we got five of theirs, but then they struck back. He says that they killed Bolton. If you look it up, no, he, they killed Roost. And you look it up, one of the characters was named Roost Bolton. Yeah, I love that. Really? Yeah, yeah, that's great. The Lannisters send their regards. Yes, indeed <laughs> they do. Indeed they do. Uh, so, yeah, so Bear, he gives them the rundown. And Lord, uh, Lord have mercy. It is just not looking good when Simone is saying this family deserves to be in the ground. Uh, when, when you're busting out a line like that, you're going to raise a few eyebrows around uh, <laughs> with the people that are around you. Uh, especially yep. considering you've just left a funeral where two, well, one of them and uh, the remains or lack thereof of the other the were idea, put in the ground. The, the idea of riot. <laughs> yes, the, the belt buckle was gone. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, uh, so that's definitely not a good look. And she's quoting her favorite movie, They're Going to Need a Bigger Boat. Uh, so, you know, she's, yeah, she's very funny. concerned about that. Yeah, Dodd's not the guy from the movie. We're going to need a bigger boat. Uh, yeah, he's just a guy, yeah. not a shark. I love that it's easier for her to think of the movie as the title is We're going to need a bigger boat than Jaws. Which is just a yeah. four-letter word. It's just a body part, yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. I like that. But, Poor Simone. Uh, but, but Floyd says to Simone that you and your dad, you guys are the same. You guys are porcupines who are half crazy, always looking for a fight. <laughs> do we do we buy that now that you know the Simone story has come to an end? Do you think that she's more doddish than she would care to admit? Do you think that that's a fair assessment, or do you think Floyd, if she ever if she lives long enough to find out what happened to Simone, do you think that she is going to come to really regret that description of her granddaughter? Hmm. I think she's going to regret it. I mean, she seemed like she regretted it by the end of the episode anyway. So I think she's going to regret it. What do you think, Antonio? Yeah, it's tough because she clearly. She clearly has some issues at that in, in that moment. She does like Simone, and she's kind of taking care of Simone. Of course, at the time that Simone faces down with Milligan later in this episode, he, in fact, recognizes that she might be Floyd's favorite, the first granddaughter. And I think that there's probably some truth to that. But that doesn't mean she's not capable of hurting Floyd uh, or that Floyd's not capable of hurting Simone. And I think we do see that coming to the forefront a little bit. I'm not sure that she wanted Simone dead. I don't know. That wasn't necessarily my read on that. Um, I don't think she called that in. Yeah, I don't think that she, I, I don't she think ordered so Bear to do that. No, I don't yeah. think so either. And so, you know, it, I don't agree with it. I think that Simone at her core is the person who in whatever various stage of grief she was in at the time when she's in the kind of, she goes through all those stages on the long ride out to the Pine Barrens, if you will. Uh, she goes through denial and anger and acceptance and all of these things. Uh, maybe not as much of the acceptance part. That's really kind of near the end, but uh, she, she really at, at her core, when she gets angry about it, she gives that great speech about how like I've been abused my whole life. This is what my life has been. My dad has treated me this way and this has happened. And I, I'm a victim here. I'm not, and I think that that's true. That doesn't excuse what she's done when it comes to the code of the family. But I think at her core, more than anything, that is who she is. The person who's been abused like that and the person who's lived as a victim of that. And a lot of her life choices have been in response to that and not on their own independent in a vacuum choices. Yeah. Yeah. And to answer the question about Floyd, uh, she definitely was not picking up on the signs because you remember later on, she asked where where Simone is, and right. Bear, of course, uh, you know, has to lie and say, "Oh, she really, she left in a hurry." And uh. yeah. <laughs> so, she's yeah, somewhere. I don't know where, I don't know where she's at. <laughs> but those are great points, Antonio. Is it yeah. possible that Floyd is not Bear's mom, and he may have actually been birthed by a bear? 
Yeah, and he's mm. like, he's like adopted by humans. Yes, well, no, he's half he's half human, half bear. Like Otto had a mm. a really interesting hunting trip with some buddies one time, uh, and, and bear came uh, was a result of that. Uh, how, so he's like we... he's like Hagrid, like half human, half giant. Yes, yeah, oh. he's like you know non. Yeah, he's like a half. He's like a half half bear. Yeah. Wow, an know. HP reference in a Fargo podcast. I would have never thought that would happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I certainly could see Bear being a character on the in the on the dark side of uh with Voldemort. I oh, could totally see this. Yeah, a Death Eater, absolutely, right? Bit bit rounder around the middle than I think, but <laughs> Yeah, that could happen. Uh, bear yeah. is an interesting cat. I an interesting bear. I really did like the I, I mean Look, the way it was presented, he was very clearly conflicted about what happened. I, I've read in a couple of places that they thought it was just mere retaliation for what happened with Charlie. That wasn't really my read on it completely. I did think it was interesting that he happened to find Simone there. They don't know if he was out looking for her, if he got a tip from somebody. I don't know how he ends up at that hotel where Simone is. Uh, but he does end up there. Um, and... I don't know that he had gone there with the intent to kill Simone, but I think that that intent did formulate fairly quickly and he seemed very torn up about it. And I think he had some valid points, sleeping with the enemy, acting against the family. I think all of those are our reason for execution. And he was clearly torn up about it. And I think this goes to what you're saying, Josh, about Angus being the MVP here. Like he really just delivered in this episode. So many different kind of shades of uh, difficulty, anger, frustration, sadness, all of it. Uh, he just did a really fantastic job. Yeah, um, he was he was really great. I, I just, in my mind, very briefly thought that uh, Angus, the actor, is uh, actually just a grown-up version of Angus from the movie Angus, and it made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still thinking that he said that he's half bear. I don't know yeah. how long it takes a she bear to gestate, uh, but I think that if we found out that bear was in the womb uh, for longer or shorter than nine months, uh, and that Floyd can't really remember giving birth to him, I would I would believe it. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, well, let's pick up Floyd. Let's bring Floyd to the police station. Um, this is, you know, Floyd's, Floyd is also Gene Smart is just terrific in this episode with Floyd oh, yeah. in the hot seat, as Jeremiah had already talked about before. That's just the interrogation scenes are really great. And for me, I, I really lo loved this. I loved seeing Terry Kinney from Oz, who plays McManus on Oz. I loved seeing him here as the police chief. Uh, I really loved him getting involved in this with Hank Larson and the two of them going after Floyd and her smoke and her pipe. As they're all talking about, you know, sort of let's let's try and strike some sort of deal. Let's try and figure something out. Let's, uh, you know, let's let's try and, you know, come up with some sort of way that is going to, you know, end all of this bloodshed. I just thought this whole scene was terrific. Yeah, I think so, too. And I got to say, I, I want to talk about this right now. This is the time to talk about it. We, we can we're going to it's going to get us into other areas. Fargo was renewed for a third season. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Fargo was renewed for a third season. We know Fargo being renewed for a second season gave us a season that's taking place uh, an extended period of time before the events of the first season. If we do that again, I feel like we've already laid a little bit of groundwork with the Gerharts if we wanted to bring them back into it. This scene here with your boy that you're just talking about, Josh, uh, he's talking about prohibition. And he's talking about kind of what it was like in those times, Tommy gun shootouts and horrible things. Floyd herself is talking about what it used to be like even earlier than that in the frontier days uh, when people were dying of, of infection and uh, raiding parties and things like that. And Hank's talking about World War II in this, in this kind of scene, talking about how he shot a man in the teeth in Vichy, France, and he sees him every night before he goes to bed. 
any of those things, Prohibition era, a frontier era, or Hank kind of as a World War II kind of era. I think any of those are great setups for a third season of Fargo. But I'd love to get your guys' take on that, either those points or any of them. Well, no, I'm so glad you mentioned that because me and your minds were working Right, exactly, when I was watching this episode, because I thought that exact same thing. To me, Antonio, though, I kind of feel like, really, this gives... I kind of feel like these things were in there purposely written this way to give them as many options as possible, knowing that there was a possibility they could get you know renewed and have another season. And now with as, with all these different little things they brought up, it gives them plenty of options that they can go. They could go just about anywhere now. So I think that was purposely put in there for that reason, and I... It's going to be hard for someone to convince me that it wasn't. I know whether or not they're going to go with any of these stories, I don't know, but they certainly could be some fascinating ones for us to 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 dig into. I think for sure. What do you think, well, uh, Josh? Yeah, I, the one that I hope that we follow is you know Floyd kind of brings up the idea of sleeper agents in the KGB, and that Ed the Butcher uh, could we already the have Butcher that, of Laverne, show, Josh? <laughs> yeah, that that Ed the Butcher of Laverne could be a sleeper agent. I want to see that. I want to see yes. like young Ed as like a, a young, young Russian boy in Russia learning how to assassinate, cut up meat, get his brain wiped and only be activated once he was here in Fargo, once he looked at Rye Gerhardt. I want to get the, the other side of the story. That's what I want to see. Well, is Sleep, he, Sleeper Agent Ed. Is, is he I'm going thinking. to be interacting with Kerry Russell and Matthew Rice in this uh, yes. alternate story? Yes. Is that what's going to happen? Yes. All right, yes. then I'm on board. This is Fargo season three slash the American season five, maybe? The, Far- the Farg American. The Farg American. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'd call it. Yeah, maybe, I like it. Maybe during our uh, wrap up or for our final podcast, we should maybe come up with some fun ideas that they could go. That would be that could be a lot of fun. What yeah. about the America Eds? The, the America Eds? That's good, too. <laughs> I, don't I like know. that. Yeah. Uh, it's a working title. It's a, it's a work in progress. Yeah. It's a work in progress. But no, I, I think that, you know, there's definitely ways that it could go. We could go further back in time. I don't know that I really want to, to be honest. I, I, I would kind of like to go back towards something present-ish. Uh, even if it was the 90s would be fun. Like, I, I just, I want to go back. I, I want to go forward before we go back. Like, I don't want to go to World War II era Fargo. Uh, I don't want to go to Prohibition Fargo. I want to. I want to go forward a little bit. I, I hope that we're not just constantly going down the rabbit hole because then eventually we're going to do prehistoric Fargo. And I mean, maybe that's good, but I don't know. I, <laughs> I, don't, know, that, I don't know. That are that's you saying that the the like Fargo season thirty Josh is going to open on a scene of a cave with yes. a mother and her young baby, uh, and that baby's going to grow up to be like uh, you know his name's going to be like uh, I don't know like uh, Caveman Solverson. Yeah, I think that could be it. <laughs> well, I don't know. It, it, people are already speculating. I think it would be Ugg Solver. Ugg no, Solverson. his first yeah. name would be Dino Gerhardt. Dino yeah, Gerhardt. Di- di- Dino Gerhardt. Ugg Larson would <laughs> He's be He's going to like look like half Brontosaurus yeah. instead of half yeah. hair. <laughs> No, I just a lot of yeah. A lot of people are speculating that they want to see who's going to play young Hank. People are already saying we did this with Lou in season one, where we had the older sort of grizzled cop, uh, and they were telling stories about things that had happened to them in their life before. Uh, I mean, maybe this isn't the best time to get into it. Maybe it's a perfect time to get into it. If 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 Hank was abducted by aliens. Is that Fargo season three? Is that is that going to happen in that season? Are we going to see that? Is that what it's going to be? I don't know. 
All right, we'll talk about that later. I don't want to. Do yeah, that. no. I, listen, here's the way it's I not, think it's about. It's not time for alien talk with Jeremy. No, it's alien, it's not though. yet. But I just want to say, I think I think Noah. I think he's a much more creative person than that. And I think that he's already has ideas in his head for what he would do for other seasons. And I think that we're most likely going to see a completely different story that has maybe even no ties to the current ones that we've we've already had. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I think just be, beyond all of that and beyond any whatever setup we're getting for season three of Fargo in this scene, I just love the scene. I love the let's lay down our arms and talk about a way of solving this thing of like actually solving this with some police work and you can help us and you can stop some bloodshed because as you say, Floyd, your boys aren't going to stop. They're too proud. They've lost too much. Um, so help us out. You know, the Kansas City fellas point us in the right direction. Give us something actionable and maybe we make this whole northern expansion thing unpalatable. Uh, as Lou will say later on in the episode, I think we just picked a side. I really like this development. Um, you know, it shows that there's no easy answers. There's no black and white. Sometimes you got to play ball in order to get the game to end. Yeah, I think yeah. that's true. And I, I think that, I mean, that is a, the point you just made is a point that I think that we as a nation have struggled with. I think that that kind of ties into the Vietnam storyline. I think that there are connections there throughout history where we sort of choose the lesser of two evils because we have to stop something or we have to put an end to something. And sometimes you see the results of that and you can't accept them and then you fight back against the choice that you've made and you end up in a real quagmire. And I think that I think that these characters are somewhat familiar with that sort of thing. And I think that Lou Solverson is a guy who makes choices, it seems like, in his life. And I, I think there was a great sort of little passing line from Betsy in this episode when she's talking about how Lou almost married her sister uh, and was supposed to marry her sister, as she says. But he signed up to go to Vietnam. He didn't get drafted. And I think that's a pretty key distinction. He signed up to go to Vietnam. Uh, there, you know, there are people who signed up so they could get a better spot or so they could get, you know, into a situation that they were, that doesn't seem like Lou. Lou seems like the kind of guy who his country needed him and he decided he would, he would serve. He was reporting for duty and he's seeing the consequences of that, I think. And it's tough. Yeah, absolutely. That that fits his character perfectly. That, this is not a guy who's going to wait to get drafted. He's going to say, hey, my country needs me. I'm going out there. So totally agree, Antonio. Yeah, yeah, I like that about Lou. I, I think mm-hmm. that that's good. I think that that's a it's a good character note for sure. But, but when you make those choices, I mean, you do have to live with them and you do have you in a black and white world. If you see things in black and white, you, you know, you're going to end up really struggling with the gray a lot of the time. And I did love that line about how I think we just picked a side. I think we just made a choice. And I think that that's true. I don't think they made it because of Ben Schmidt's connection to Floyd. Uh, I don't think that's why. I don't think that's why. Floyd flipped, if you will. I actually think, I hope, I think, and I hope that there may be a little more in play here, that there may be some stuff happening off screen again that is going to be a payoff to the audience. Uh, some some things that are inexplicable to me that I think maybe come will, will come to the forefront a little bit more here. Um, Floyd gets the call about Dodd, and she goes in and takes the call. And then later in the episode, Ed calls Mike Milligan. Right. Mm-hmm. So it seems to me like Floyd may be running some game behind people's backs here. And uh, I don't well, know how fully committed she is to this sellout role. Yeah, I don't think that she is. I, I agree. I think that there's something a little uh, more that's brewing under the surface. I totally agree, Antonio, because when I when I saw the whole scene, I felt as though she already had it worked on her head what she was going to do when she went to the police station. And I do believe, I think you're right. There was some kind of, there's some kind of game plan she has going on and we're not going to find out until later on. It's going to be great. 
It'll be good. It'll be great. Um, I also, I just like what, what Floyd said about stories too. Uh, how she says like stories used to be simpler. It was this, then that. Mm-hmm. Now I don't know where it starts or how it ends. I truly don't. Uh, and I feel like that's a, that's an interesting meta commentary on season two of Fargo, which has not been, you know, a straight line. It's not walking a straight line to borrow from another show that we talk about, Antonio. It's, you know, it's helixes and running in circles and things like that. I, I feel like, um, you know, with, I know that you don't love the U.S. UFO thing, but that's the thing that's literally hovering around this show right now. We have no idea how that ties into this. So I just like that as kind of a meta commentary of uh, stories used to be simpler, and now I just truly have no idea where this is going. But then the um, the Terry Kinney character kind of breaks the walls down of that illusion and says, without being overly simplistic, this thing's over when you say it's over. Uh, so I think that there's a little bit of commentary too over there of like, well, this story is going to end and you can just bust your way to the ending at some point. Yeah, I think yeah. that that's true. And I think that, I think that it's, it, it's a little bit of a different show. And I, I do think that um, I, the, the layering and the setups and potentially setting up future seasons of the show, I think that complicates it a little bit. But I do think that this particular story, as we're seeing it, we're going to get, you know, a firm ending and we're going to get kind of the through line of action of this particular battle between Kansas City and the Gearhearts. Right. Um, let's talk about Simone, who goes to the Pearl Hotel, and a lot of things are happening with, Sipo- with Simone in the next couple of scenes. Uh, she shows up. She comes in hot at Mike Milgan. She's hopped up on coke. Uh, it, she's very angry about everything that happened with the Gerhardt compound. And very quickly, this is escalating to the point that Lou and Ben are in the mix. What did you guys think of this scene? Oh, that was great. Uh, the first the first thing I wrote down as soon as I saw her leave and go go to see Mike, I thought – what an idiot. <laughs> like, really? You're going to go back to Mike? I mean, this is not a good idea at all. I, she's definitely lucky to get out of there alive. It wasn't It wasn't for Lou and Ben. She she probably would not have – she would have died a lot earlier than she really did in the episode, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, I think so. And I think that that's uh, – she almost escapes. I mean, we have that beautiful shot of everything that was happening in the – the elevator. All the shots in that elevator are great, uh, with all the various different versions cascading of Simone and uh, Ben in this particular instance. But yeah, it she should have she should have. I, I appreciate Simone fighting to the end. The knee to the groin of shit cop Ben Schmidt was great. Uh, yeah, yeah. She unfortunately bear and bear and Buffalo. We got a bear and Buffalo <laughs> down there. Uh, somehow they they just knew to show up there, and she was there waiting for them. Okay, so yeah. let's talk about this. I I've seen a lot of theories. The one I like the best is the fact kind of going back to what we talked about earlier is that when she when simone makes that comment about how this family deserves the ground and all those things and she kind of rushes out i get this feeling at some point maybe that was enough to kind of tip bear off that hey you know something's not quite right here right and that maybe they it's you know went looking for her and then saw her car and came up with the assumption that okay She's working with the enemy here, and something's got to be done about it. Now, do you guys like this theory? Because I understand why a lot of people are confused. Like, how the hell do these two just happen to find her? It just seemed too convenient. But I kind of feeling that there was something we weren't being shown there. What do you guys think? What kind of theories do you like? 
I, th- I think that that's as good of, a, of an explanation as, as I need, honestly, is like she's, you know, she's obviously acting really fishy. Bear is inclined not to trust the people that come from Dodd's stock right now, probably. <laughs> right. So he's, prob- he's probably already got an eye on her. Bears also uh, naturally follow fishies. I'm just pointing that out. Indeed, indeed they do. They are hungry for fish. Uh, so I could, I could see him just tracking Simone and seeing what's going on there and just the way that she was acting so suspicious during the funeral. Uh, and he put he puts it together and the thing about you know the thing about simone the thing about simone is that obviously she's been a decent liar she's been a decent double dealer in that she's been able to get in good with mike milligan and all this stuff she hasn't been fantastic but she's had her moments um but in the face of somebody as intimidating as a human hangry bear you're gonna break (laughs) and so she breaks she breaks under the pressure of him you know taking her out to as antonio called it the pine barrens of the of the north of the midwest that's b-e-a-r uh, yeah, Baron. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. So I, th- I think that I think that he's just following his instincts there, like you suggested, uh, Jeremiah. I think that that's good enough for me. Yeah, because I've seen enough mob movies to know that when. When you have a situation like this where, you know, you're you're going somewhere and they say, no, 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 you you go with me in this car here. And don't worry, Buffalo, here, he'll he'll drive your car back. See, right. that that to me sounds like a calculated decision that they had planned this thing and they were the whole intention was that uh, we're going to take her out and make her disappear. That's that's kind of what I gathered. And I can understand why a lot of people may have thought that it might have been maybe an impulsive thing. But I, I think. Uh, I think he had planned the entire time to take her out. Now, we can argue here in just a second if we want to about whether or not his intentions was just because to, to get revenge on her sleep with the enemy or whether or not it had something to do with some inner issues he had with, with the brother and all that. That's that's up to you guys. You want to talk with that because I'm fine with that. But, yeah, I, I just kind of felt like that whole thing was orchestrated for sure. Yeah, so I, I guess in the larger kind of point, um, are you guys both on board that she's definitely dead? Yeah, you know, I guess it's worth just talking it through for a minute because this is a thing that's in pop culture right, right. now. Right, this is and a TV I, show. Yeah, and I and I want to talk about it in, without without spoiling other shows, but there are other popular shows right now that you'd be really hard pressed to miss the conversation if you have an internet connection and you you know read news about TV. Uh, that there's at least one massive show, two massive shows probably that have had main characters that have. Uh, that have either died or seemingly died only to come back. And it's been a real misdirect. And I have, I have seen some people wondering if something similar like that is happening with Simone. We don't see bear pull the trigger on Simone. We get an overview, you know, we get a bird's eye view of what's going on there. And the camera is just pulling back and back and back to the point that I don't think you see the body drop. Um, at no. least I was looking for it and I didn't see it. Uh, and we just, we see bear come back alone. Um, I think she's dead. I think she's dead. I don't think that it's, I, I don't think that bear buckled and let her go off. I don't think he belted either. I don't think that he, I don't think that he strapped. I don't, yeah, he was strapped I, and he shot yeah, her in the head. I don't think he's strapped. I, I think that he was strapped. I think he shot her in the head. I think he did what he said he was going to do. And I don't think that he let her go. Um, I really want to think that you know, Fargo isn't that. I want Fargo. I want Fargo to go through with what Fargo does. I should add, uh, Josh, that um, that 
post-show recaps, uh, Game of Thrones book club co-host Terry Schwartz wrote a great review at IGN.com. And Terry thought that maybe the stylistic elements of Simone's fate got a little bit in the way of the clarity that was required on TV these days uh, for a killing like this, as she summed it up pretty well. Uh, and I thought that that was interesting, um, that, that, you know, that that is out there. You're right. Like this, this day and age, like if you don't see the body drop, like as you're saying, like you, you might have a problem on a TV show. Show. I think the way this was presented as a direct call out to Miller's Crossing, without spoiling that, uh, there are there, there's a direct there's a scene in the movie that is very similar, and I think that it's borrowing a little from the source material for you to make the connection that the character is definitely dead in this instance, that she's not immediately getting her head shaved and running off into nowhere like this is a dead character, um, and and bears coming back and smashing the cast. That could go either way. So right, right. if she's alive, I would understand. I would be really pretty frustrated because I think that the, the way the thing was presented was artfully and was a call out to kind of Miller's Crossing. And I think when you put those two things together, I, I just assumed that, that she was toast and that's that. I do. I like that, by the way, Antonio, because I think this maybe the stylistic did make kind of get in the way of it because it was such a beautiful shot. I love the way they did the entire the entire sequence was just fantastic, and I do think that because they got so much into, caught up into the, how they were going to tell that story and just the cinematography and everything may have just left too much room there for people to just speculate like there's no tomorrow, which we know yeah, people we'll put love it in to the do. Show note. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. Terry Schwartz does a really good job of kind of putting a bow on that and not really heavily criticizing it, but just by pointing out that the stylistic choices that were made kind of left the door open. I think that um, I think that that's a valid kind of observation, even though I do think that, that she's as good as dead and definitely gone. And, you know, we, we don't say enough about uh, the actress that's played that played Simone. I think that uh, she is, you know, she's done a really fantastic job of, I really did like that, that moment, like I said, in the car, the, the kind of progression of moments where it's sort of dawning on her where she's going. There are famous scenes in other shows where characters are being driven out to their death. Uh, sure, and, sure. and this is very evocative of a certain Soprano scene. Indeed. And Absolutely. Rachel Keller, Rachel Keller, the actress here in Fargo, mm-hmm. uh, she, I believe is a Minnesota native. Uh, and yeah, she, you is. know, she's, she's really adding a lot of flavor there to the show. I did not. I felt awful about her repeating the bust and nut line uh, because that she was sort of grasping at straws, trying to really justify her actions to bear. And it was so sad in that moment. I felt so oh sad for her. So good writing, good acting, just a really well executed scene. Not to play a part. She- oh, but you played it anyway. I didn't intend it though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, even with Danny Boy, which I know that's very Cohen-esque, and that kind of plays with the thing that you were talking about with uh, calling too much Cohen-esque stuff into the music. I really loved that. I thought that that was really beautiful, and I just loved the way that Bear even speaks to her with like, "Hush, now it's already done." Yep. Uh, like, yeah. I just, I just thought that the dialogue was amazing, and I love like her final act of like when when he says, "This is on you and your uncle, your own grandfather. That's on you," and she says, "No, you don't do that. You don't put this on me." Grandma wanted to negotiate but dad dad wouldn't let her he did this he made it war he's a snake like you said he's a rat he took charlie not me i'm the victim here what was i supposed to do i just i love her like final act of just like digging her heels in because at this point what can you do it it was like it was almost painful to watch like she was doing such a great job i was just when she starts to break down i was like oh man 
come on, right. bear, you know, which right. she just didn't know she had faced an, a hangry bear. She didn't know that. Otherwise, she would have known that begging wasn't going to work. She just needed to give right. him a sandwich. But, right, 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 right. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I uh, think it speaks to I speaks I think it speaks to what she says in the elevator after she knees Ben Schmidt in the gut mm-hmm. uh, when when she says, uh, "If I'm going to the noose, I'm going, but I'm done lying down for men." And you know, Bear is obviously going to execute her, and yeah, you know, she does start to go. Uh, you know, she starts to lower herself to the ground to just get shot in the face and all of that. But before she does that, she doesn't do it without being a little bit defiant in the end of being like, no, you don't just get to kill me with your narrative. Let me tell you what the narrative really is. Yeah. Um, so I, I appreciated that in her death scene. Well, I also really like, Josh, before we move to that question, the point you make about Bear saying it's already done, that is totally in keeping with what we've heard repeated on this series a lot of the time about characters who are already dead and don't even know it. We had the great speech with Lou to Ed and Peggy. We had Dodd saying that the butcher's already dead and he doesn't know it yet. And here's, it's already done. Like, so you're already dead. Like, the warrant is signed. Like, everything is done. You just don't realize it. Sorry, it's it's the end. There's no point in bargaining or begging. It, it's our, the die has been cast. To, uh, to borrow from another show, the war was lost. Yes. <laughs> the treaty signed. <laughs> the treaty signed. Yeah, exactly. The deed was done. I crossed the line. I crossed the line. Never mind. Uh, never mind. Um, so never mind. Yeah, Jeremiah, uh, what, was your, what was your point? That, no, so I just – I kind of want to put the books on this. So do you – so you both are – in on the idea that is there any possibility that some of this has to do with Bear's hatred towards Dodd and taking ta- – basically taking his son from him? I mean because essentially you know, that's what he did at least for a while. This kid's going to be in jail for a long time, and you know that there's a lot of pent-up anger. And he, the guy is, is so mad at him. He doesn't even care where he's at or what, what possible situation he could be in. He's. I just feel like that there was a little bit there, especially when he asks her in the car, says, you know, you don't, you never ask about uh, Charlie. And she was right. like, oh, yeah, yeah. Hey, how's he doing? You know, and if you could <laughs> yeah, just see good. it, he would just I know he doesn't have a lot of expressions on his face. It's usually always the same. It looks like he's just pissed all the time. But it just you could tell, though, he was he's just not happy with the fact that she could care less about what's going on with Charlie. And I just, I don't know. I just think that he looks at her as, as Dodd. And this is another way of kind of getting revenge on him. But I mean, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Am am I wrong on this or what? What do you guys feel about that? Antonio, what do you think? Do you think that this was pure vengeance or do you think that this is, uh, this is business? Uh, The way I was reading it is that it was mostly business. I think that there was some vengeance in it, but I don't think it's really vengeance motivated. I think everything that Bear was saying about how it needed to happen, she crossed the family, all of that. I think that that's true. I think we have to observe that Floyd kind of saw the Dodd bear kind of face off with the belt and the buckle and the strap and all of it as what does she say? It's like, you're going to divide this family and we're going to kill each other. And that, you know, right. we're going to, we're going to take each other out and that's going to be awful. It's a natural offshoot of that. I mean, you can't ignore that, 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 that sort of prophecy by the, the matter familius, if you will, as she's referred to in this episode as a call out to, to, Oh brother, where art thou? You can't, uh, you can't ignore that. She's, she's kind of got that wisdom and she's already dispensed it. And here we mm-hmm. see a member of the Gerhardt clan who could have been valuable perhaps. I mean, she was probably already spent as far as Milligan went, but that doesn't mean she couldn't have brought something to the table. Uh, and you know, she got Ben Schmidt under uh, around 
Alexander finger immediately. So I don't know. Right. I think that there's Simone had some value here and for bear to take, you know, to dispense with her in the middle of this horrible war, they don't need to cause their own casualties. And I think that that is rough. And so I think that he had kind of reason to do it. That doesn't include Charlie or vengeance against Dodd. But I think mm-hmm. the timing of it suggests that he was not able to put those things kind of in the back on the back burner uh, at a time when he probably needed to. And why did it have to be this time? I don't know. I always right. felt like Bear was someone, though, that had a little bit of compassion, a little bit more heart. I mean, I think I never felt like he was anything, obviously, like his brother. So I wonder if maybe he was just kind of fishing, fishing there for a moment. Like he's looking for a reason not to go through with what he knows he has to go through with. And if, if she would have had a little more compassion for her son, maybe it would give her more of a reason to say, you know, this girl does have a good heart overall. I can't do this. Maybe I should find a way to where I can, you know, have her run and something like that you know so i wonder if maybe maybe some of that had to do with it you know yeah yeah i think i think my read on it is that like bear is you know he we keep joking about how he's a bear he's an animal and all that stuff but in a way he's like he's like the pure animal gerhardt like he's the Mm -hmm. one that like this real animalistic family you know this this family that plays by its own rules and has its own code and is you know really like its own in its way its own noble house we made a lannister joke earlier but it's like all about the family and it's it's kind of game of thronesy in a way and i feel like bear is real pure gerhardt And I think that when he says the line, it's already done, it doesn't mean he has to like it. But he knows that purely for the family, someone like this, someone who did this, A, cannot be trusted and B, committed, you know, a sin that needs to be punished the way that it gets punished. Um, and I, I don't think that he likes doing it. Obviously he's, you know, smashing the cast at the end of the episode or at the end of, uh, at the end of the sequence. But I think that he walks into it with a certain sense of, you know, it's inevitable. It has to be done. This is the way that it is for the family. And I think that that makes him the most, you know, the most well-suited in, in a way to be like the true Gerhardt loyalist. He's not the guy who's going to drive this family to war the way that Dodd recklessly did. I think that once you're in, war he's the soldier that's going to play by the rules of war and i think that this is the rules of war i think that you hang the traitor yeah um so i think i think we've we've talked about that quite a bit there's still so much more that we got to talk about so let's talk about some other stuff and let's go back to to mike milligan in the hotel who a is going to get a phone call from theo tonin adam arkin is in the mix here uh he's he's calling he's saying the undertaker is coming mike milligan is obviously very rattled by that uh we got we have lou and ben who burst in and that's how Simone gets out of the picture. But there's a great scene with Lou and Mike that's kind of a parallel or a little bit of a mirror of the scenes with Floyd in the interrogation room with Hank earlier in the episode where Lou is trying to give Mike a shot, where he's like, you know, you don't have to go home. It's a big country. Just maybe don't be here. Uh, and, and also talking about, um, you know, you know, Mike Milligan saying, have, don't, have you heard of Manifest Destiny? And Lou saying, well, here's the thing. I own two pairs of shoes. I have a summer pair and one for winter. Great character note. Yeah, we're not meant to have more than we can handle. This need for conquest, trying to own things that aren't meant to be owned. Uh, and Mike, in a very charged line, says, like people. Uh, and Lou says, also places, you know, believing that we contain things. That's a problem, not a solution. And Mike says, capitalism is a problem. 
And Lou says, no, greed, making this thing an all or nothing. Um, and I think that that's interesting too, where, where Lou is kind of saying like, how about you cut your losses a little bit? Or how about you go back to the negotiating table? Or how about we just try and cool our jets here and not just shoot each other's brains out in the middle of the street the way that we're doing? How about it doesn't have to be all or nothing, guy? Uh, and Mike's not playing that way because I think we're seeing from Mike Milligan in this episode, he's too deep. He is in all or nothing mode at this point. You know, if he doesn't pull the quarrels on the undertaker, he's probably the one who's getting got. Yeah. And I think that that's, I think that that's true. Uh, I thought that was a fantastic conversation. Definitely made it into the good part of my notes. Um, politically charged conversation too, especially when you consider the Reagan kind of dynasty that's upcoming and the criticisms of, of the economic policies that uh, don't kind of account for people's greed and assume that people will act altruistically uh, and create jobs and things like that if you give them more money. I'm not getting into politics. I'm just talking about what some people's criticisms are of those policies and kind of what you don't account for. And greed is always the big part of it. And so I think it is fascinating to think of Lou Solverson kind of delivering those lines at that time. I love Lou Solverson. I think he's a great character. I, I, this, he's been one of my favorite parts about the second season, especially his relationship with Betsy. It's just so great. I, I really love everything about them. That said, if the, if, if the third pair of shoes is too much for this guy, I don't know, man. I thought he went to war. <laughs> that's, that's what I was <laughs> thinking. Wow. Well, we also got to talk about a what, simple what are, man, Antonio. You know, what, what are we calling shoes? Are they closed toe? Are they dress shoes? Are mm, not that's boots? A good point. Is it a pair of boots and a pair of uh, dress shoes? Like, where does it, where does his shoes as a, as a police officer, where do, where do those fall in? Or are those, mm-hmm. you know, company issue? He does he, too- does he have sandals? Does he have oh, slippers? God, no. <laughs> he has we could do a whole old podcast about this if you wanted to you know yeah he's two loose shoes <laughs> called loose shoes we have two functional pairs of shoes and that's it on next episode of loose shoes nothing because he just has two pairs <laughs> we are such a pair of loose shoes yeah i think uh How is that a yeah. blues clues or a- i i enjoy it, it every blues. scene between these guys it's been great all season long and you could do nothing but the best and like you said the dialogue is just so great i love it great yeah, great back and forth. I, the like people line for Milligan is fantastic because that carries with it so much. And Lou, Lou sort of acknowledges it. And, and he, but as Josh read, he kind of says, no, and, and, and places and thinking you can tame things. It's just, not, right. you know, like I really think that that was a great back and forth. And then, of course, we get that sometimes there's a man, well, there's a wheelbarrow story about the factory and about, you know, where the future. And sometimes, you know, you're looking, you know, you're looking, you're overlooking the obvious, and I think Milligan. This is manifest destiny, yes, but it's also about evolution and about how things change. And so, there's a lot of that that's going to come to bear in the '80s as we see jobs sort of, you know, changing and people evolving out of roles and expectations changing, and how capitalism and the economy really does change the way the country is situated and set up in the eighties. And probably the best thing about this Fargo season to me has been that sense of time. There's been great discussions about this on our pages here at post show recaps uh, on the various episodes and people who were alive at the time have weighed in and and talked about what it was like at, at the time. And we've seen it in the background. We see at the very beginning of this season with the actual source material and kind of like just legitimate shots of things that were, you know, B-roll that, that happened from the time we see gas lines, we see all of this. And that has sort of been on the character's mind. So to see that playing out in microcosm with, with the Gerhardt family and to hear the characters kind of talking about it as though they understand why it's situated that way and how it works. I think it's great. It's just really, really, really good. 
Yeah, I think it's great too. Um, let's uh, let's let's move on. Where should we go from here? Do you want to go to the Solversons? Do you want to get into uh, the Breakfast King? Should we talk about that <laughs> Breakfast King of Loyola? We have to. Yeah, yeah, that was really good. You know, another great Carl Weathers episode. Another great Nick Offerman episode. Not as showy as uh, as Rhinoceros, which really was a tour de force for for Nick Offerman with him just being you know drunkenly spouting off just this beautifully meaty dialogue. But he has some really touching, affecting moving scenes here with Betsy. Some funny stuff, too, where he talks about how Sonny has already called dibs on the floor. He's like, I'd give you the sofa if not for my back. And he's like, what's wrong with your back? He's like, it hurts when I sleep on the floor. Uh, just, you know, there's, there's very good Nick Offerman stuff, but the scene with him and Betsy where Betsy is saying, like, you'll look after them, right? You'll look after them. And he talks about, but you're on Xanadu. You're, you're going to be fine. And she says, no, I have the sugar pill. Um, and it, you know, it ends with, with him trying to give her the, the good old John McCain spiel, but she doesn't want to hear it. And instead it's just, it ends with him pulling her in for a really tender hug. And yeah, he's very John Goodman ish in the big Lebowski way. He's got the Walter thing going on, but he's also a really kind of sensitive character in a way that I don't think you ever got from Walter in the big Lebowski. Um, and I think that this, this episode really added a lot of soul to that character and just the work that we were getting from. From, uh, from Betsy, what we were seeing in that character was, I thought, really, really terrific stuff and really sad because you do know she's not going to be around in the 2000s. Yeah, I thought this was great. A great moment to see of Carl's emotional side of him. And of course, Nick did a phenomenal job again as we've been prouding his praise all season long. But uh, this was just another great scene where we get to see him just react to it emotionally. I was just Oh man, it was it was it was great. I really class enjoyed a, it. Class A eye acting on game on Nick. Yes, his eye, the eyes have it. I mean, Carl Weathers is, as Josh is pointing out about last week, the the kind of blithering, kind of drunken, rambling amazingness that we saw last week. He's bleary eyed, of course, because this guy is he's an alcoholic. Betsy even says, like, "Stop the drinking," you know, like it's going to yeah. kill you. Uh, right. This is Carl Weathers. Besides being the breakfast king, besides having a good heart, besides being the kind of guy that can stare down a barrel of a gun and walk away to tell the tale, uh, he's also a guy who, who drinks a lot, and he's wearing it all over his face. And it, it's it's really Nick Offerman just bringing it, like with with the eyes, with the eyebrows, hiding, trying to mask a lot of the sadness he feels for Betsy in the scene uh, because she's trying to tell him stiff upper lip. It is what it is. Like I've got a bad hand that I was dealt, but I need you to be on my side. I don't want you to be one of those blithering idiots. You know, don't you do this to me. I need you to be strong and I need you to help take care of Molly after she's gone. Uh, and, and Offerman's trying to do that. Uh, and his eyes tell a little bit of a different story. And I think that's just a great, great and, performance there. And I, I feel for sure by the end of this season, we will have a moment where we see Carl I don't know if like just churn down the opportunity for a drink or at least just give us some kind of nod that he's taking her advice to heart and that he's going to try to change his ways a little bit because I think that that whole thing really touched him. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was really great. I hope at least. Yeah, I just hope he's not pounding forties with breakfast anymore. <laughs> there's a, there's also a really good uh, scene. There's a really good article by Alan Seppenwall again uh, about Fargo's renewal uh, on HitFix, and we can post a link to that in the show notes. And he suggests that a possibility for season three could be some sort of Carl Weathers spinoff. Uh, and Dan Feinberg from the Hollywood Reporter suggested we could just do young Carl in Korea, uh, and preferably just have it be Nick Offerman without comment, and you know, just the same 
same guy, whatever. Uh, maybe yeah. you've got like a better Carl, call Carl type show. Seppenwell says where he's a drunken conspiracy loving country <laughs> lawyer at some different stage of his career. So I don't think that we're going to get a season three built around Nick Offerman, but I'd love, but to, I'm into that. <laughs> I'd love to see him pop up on season three. That would be fantastic. I'm into that. Better Carl Weathers. Better Carl Weathers. <laughs> That's what I would call it. Yes. Yeah. So I'd be into that. No, I would love that. I think that'd be great. Uh, but no, he was really great. And he's been, he's been really well used this season. There was a period of time where it was like, where the hell is Nick Offerman? And he's been really present in these past couple of episodes. And I think that he's been fantastic. Um, there's also been, there was, you know, we're going to get into the thing in a second here, but I, one of That's the things really I'm almost gonna, all there is left. So let's get in. No, there, let's there's, get there. There's, well, there's, 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 couple. Some, there's some stuff. There's some stuff. Uh, but I, I loved Betsy. Like I loved the tension that they were ramping up with Betsy where like you feel like when she first comes into her home, and there's boots on the floor and it's like wait a minute lou only has two pairs of shoes whose yeah. shoes are these yes so, so i like that i like <laughs> driving the shotgun and you don't know where it's gonna lead and it's just carl and sunny and then the other big one was the scene right after after um betsy and carl having their heart to heart where betsy goes to feed snowball uh goes to feed her father's oh. cat and she's looking at all the pictures and i mean i straight up thought that she was just gonna fall over and die i thought that we were about to see the betsy death scene um i did too Instead, no. we get alien talk. Aliens. <laughs> alien talk. Is it time for alien talk? I think it's time for alien. Let's talk. do it. I hate that noise. It's time to go into the unknown on post show recaps. Paranormal activity government cover-ups no <laughs> and aliens oh. starring josh wiggler antonio mazzaro no i don't want to be part of it. and jeremiah panel <laughs> oh my god i am All so right. glad that when it said time to go into the unknown we didn't go right back to that other sound clip jeremiah <laughs> Thumbs up to you for that one. No, 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 no. You don't want to hear any more. No, 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 well, I don't know what they are. Are they Whoa, alien symbols? Man. Are they hieroglyphics? Is this uh, a secret lost prequel sequel? Is he part of the Dharma Initiative? I, I have like no idea theory. what the hell is going on here. I like that theory. It's the right time frame, you know? Come on. All right. What are you guys reading? Because I've watched this episode. I watched this only a few hours ago. I haven't had enough time to really dig around into what the alien talk is on the internet. But are there popular theories about what's going on? Are there people decoding the writing on the walls in, in Hank's uh, house? What's going on here? Antonio, Jeremiah, are you guys seeing anything really popular? Jeremiah, well, I know how I much Antonio loves this discussion. Yeah, so I, I didn't. To you. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, I think the best theory I, I liked was the, the fact that you see there's a screenshot where you see that he has a book. And I think it's the book is actually the title is Palaces of the Gods. But we from what I could tell, that is not a real book. So a lot of people think that may be a reference to uh, Chariots of the Gods, which I am not familiar with. But it, from what I understand, it's a German book who kind of looks at the history of 
mankind's mysterious past and it involves things like you know aliens you know ancient civilizations maybe had contact with uh, what they called ancient astronauts or aliens as we know as and they were treated like gods and that maybe we were visited at one point so the a lot of people think that maybe what's going on here is that after hanks the loss of of his wife and then, of course, we, he finds out his his daughter is now diamond cancer, that he is just obsessed with looking for answers of the unknown. And that's why all these things are on there, that this is some kind of ancient type writing that people think might have been aliens. And he's trying to dice, you know, dissect the whole thing and maybe think it has some kind of answers to his future, maybe whether or not he can understand life you know i mean which a lot of people you know when you're going through times like this you know you people look for lots of different things to help them make them feel better whether it's religion or something like this which you know could be considered as a religion as well looking into the ancient worlds and i think that's kind of what it is i mean you you there's a lot of the screenshots to show that some of the symbols mean love like he has a picture of his family with uh, you see, a, like a young, well, I guess you know, Lou and basically Lou and Betsy, and in, and Molly, and he has these other these symbols near it where it says love, house, person, child, and I can't make up the other one, but it's it, it looks like you know maybe he's trying to, to piece together his life and he's using the, these unknown theories to maybe help understand what's going on. That's the best I've I heard, and that's the thing that kind of makes the most sense. I don't know. What do what do you guys think? Yeah, I think that I mean I I think that that would be fine with me. Uh and I would I would really appreciate a show that has that kind of depth to it. It isn't just throwing another yet another alien kind of red herring bone uh at the audience and just be like, "Oh yeah, aliens, remember aliens happening. Uh she's looking at a drawing of Molly's. There's a flying saucer on it." Um you know, everybody's talking about this Val Johnson incident uh that happened where a deputy Reginald Val Johnson? Not Reginald <laughs> Val Johnson. This is not a family matters kind of link. Uh, it's a rare condition yeah. <laughs> get abducted by aliens with the Winslow house. Wait, what's the title of the episode? Um, it is, did you do this or did I do that or something? <laughs> did I do that? <laughs> got, it, got, it, got, it, got, got it, 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 got it. Okay. Okay. Good, good, so good, good, I don't good. know. Maybe this is a Reginald Val Johnson. No, there's a Val Johnson incident. Everyone's acting like they know about it now. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of people posting stuff on the internet. Like, <laughs> like they know about something that happened in 1979 obscurely that, yeah, they, they found it. They looked it up. That's fine. There's, it's there. There was a deputy sheriff in Minnesota who was abducted allegedly by a UFO in 1979. The guy made it on a Good Morning America with this. Story. And you're really trying to tell me that there's a sheriff who gets abducted named Val Johnson and it's not Reginald Val Johnson. I promise you it's not. Yeah. And this is Reginald Val Johnson. <laughs> Love and tradition. This day and age. Reading the good news. Yeah, no, not happening. Yeah, he was in the news last week saying people still think he's a cop. So who knows? But. No, this is an incident that happened. Uh, it's been talked about online a lot, uh, and people are just so sure that this is absolutely what they're depicting. Uh, I'm not so sure. Noah Hawley likes to say, you know, open the book of true crime in the Midwest or whatever, and these are some of the stories you're going to read. We have the, the the great kind of Fargo conceit about this is based on a true story, which, of course, it's not. Uh, but it, it's loosely based sometimes on things that happened or whatever, and that's fine. Uh, I don't think we're going to get any kind of confirmation that this is clearly what happened. I like, Jeremiah, what you're saying. I find a lot more strength and power in that. Some of those symbols were, were family and love and happy. Some of them are angry. There's, like, one for sickness. Like you see it a couple of times. Mm -hmm. You see one for, like, disease, and uh, you see... One 
one for fetus and all these things. I mean, there are definitely <laughs> negative fetus? things. There's one. Well, I mean, yeah, it says angry conversations, fetus, yeah. dead. Sick. Yeah, and that's kind of like Betsy's dying of cancer. That is his daughter. So, right, you yeah. know, maybe he is doing this. But why he's using these symbols, I really don't know. Betsy's clearly floored by it. I think other people are speculating that there's a lot more to this history with Betsy and Hank than the show has really let on. Uh, that maybe Betsy also has some UFO connections, why she's looking at the flying saucer kind of knowingly uh, when she's looking at the picture. Uh, it's just a lot of speculation. I, I don't know. I'm, I would much prefer it be, Jeremiah, what you're saying than the idea that, that he is the sheriff that was abducted by aliens in <laughs> 1979, and this is how it's playing out. Although earlier, Josh, you did say that Maybe that explains why he's doing some kind of shoddy police work when he doesn't seem like that kind of a shoddy policeman. So who knows? No, I was kidding. I was kidding. I, thought, I didn't actually. I, didn't actually. I thought it was interesting. One of the screenshots shows that there that we're in March, or at least his calendar is still stuck on March. And what I thought was significant about that is in March of 1979, uh, actually on March March 4th, the U.S. Voyager One space probe reveals photos from Jupiter's rings for the first time, and on the 25th, the first functional space shuttle orbiter. Columbia is delivered to the John F. Kennedy Space Center to prepare for its first launch. So there was a lot. There's still, of course, a lot of the space program and things like that would might have been fresh on people's minds during that time period as well. But, yeah, I agree with Antonio. I really think this is more of just, you know, Hank's struggles with trying to deal with all this taste, terrible things that's happening to the to the women he loves. This is an emotional bad time for him. I much prefer that to the Me oh too. somehow in this in this show now supernatural exists and you're gonna have to deal with it like I, right right, right. I, we we I we think know. it makes so yes. much more sense yeah we yeah. know we don't need to spend a million hours on this because we know we know we know your take on it it's not a hot take anymore it's it's the Antonio take and I'm and I'm and I get it I get it I get it I get it yeah I don't want to uh, belabor and, the point I just sure sure yeah, sure 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 yeah. and I, but I'm but I, and I'm and I'm mostly with you too you know like if 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 we if we are going in the alien thing like you better do this well like please please stick the landing on this. I, I still hold to what my company line on this is like. Let's just see how it shakes out. But it's it's very on the show right now. That is the most on the show that it's been in a while. Listen, if if Hank or somebody gets abducted by an alien by the end of this episode, I'll cut my toe off. No, <laughs> I can get you a toe, Jeremiah. No, I can get no. you a toe by three o'clock with nail polish. Nice. Uh, right. There are ways so you don't want to know. There are ways. <laughs> I, I do. I just. I. I do want to say this. I've. You know, in my notes that I'm writing down this episode, and I know that something is coming up because Jeremiah, Antonio, and I had been emailing a little bit before we were podcasting, and the subject line was Hank's office, and Antonio was like grumble, grumble, grumble in, in the email thread, but I didn't read what was going on because I didn't want to get spoiled. I hadn't watched the episode yet, and once I got to this, I just have in my notes, oh God, this is why Antonio was mad. Uh, so that's that's my note of the hieroglyphics uh, of the alien markings in the room. So we can we can move away from that. Antonio, let's, let's hit something else. What do you what do you think is the is the next big ticket item we wanna we wanna touch? The about? entrance and the execution of the Undertaker, uh, yes. I think, is is great. Uh, it, that was that made it into the good. Should be in the great. I actually had a thought while it was happening. Like if this guy just we have this huge build and he just walks in and Milligan just caps him, that'll be fantastic. And that's absolutely what happened <laughs> with the sleeve gun with the with the Travis Bickle sort of uh, Bobby Quarles esque sleeve gun that we only caught a glimpse of earlier in the shootout outside the doctor's office uh really just phenomenal stuff there yeah uh it was great it was great it was just the way that he just like comes right up to the undertaker's like hey how you doing blap uh it was it was really really that, really really good that it was, was the most good. badass scene i'm telling you what guys i was so 
pumped during this scene because this is the Mike Milligan I've been waiting for, man. He was badass. That little sleeve gun, or some people call it the wrist gun, he pulls out and blows his brains right out, and then they slash those other guys with a knife. I was like, woohoo, man. I was like partying in my uh, – uh, I had to be careful because my wife was sleeping at the time. I didn't want to wake her up. I right. thought it was fantastic. Loved it. I mean, the satisfied the Jeremiah Panhorse. Totally club. satisfied. It's you know, it's it's it was great. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. No, it was good. It was good. I just like that they were building this guy up. Yes. Like the Undertaker's coming. The Undertaker <laughs> yes. is coming. You know, it's kind of like that. Uh, I don't know. It's like that great GI Joe episode. I don't know if you guys were GI Joe cartoon watchers at all, but there's this great GI Joe cartoon episode about the Viper. The Viper is coming in three days. The Viper will be here, and both Cobra and GI Joe are freaking the f out because they're like, "Who's the Viper? We don't know. He's not our guy. He's not your guy." Right. And eventually, the Viper shows up, and he's just like a window washer and when he says i'm the viper he means to say i'm the wiper uh and it's just kind of like a a little bit of a whatever moment and similarly like you're building up the undertaker and he's not the viper he's not the wiper but he does just get wiped out instantly and it's just like a complete non-starter that you have this guy who is being built up as this massive massive threat and he's just like a complete non-threat the second he hits the scene it does help that as soon as he walks in the door he's immediately racist because then you're like you know what f the undertaker uh i I really had hope that we were going to get a wwe undertaker that would have been great but it's just mm-hmm. obviously i'm the guy who doesn't want the aliens on the show so of course i don't it wouldn't have really worked but what's that, like the wrestling commentary of this scene because if i was a wrestling <laughs> guy i would know what to say here but i've just like i keep imagining like big time wrestling commentary when the undertaker gets taken down by mike milligan oh you would just say like uh my god he's broken in half like something <laughs> like that you know like, i shot him in the face yeah. <laughs> that's the undertaker's music that's mike milligan's music he's back <laughs> i mean mike milligan sounds like a WWF character. Yeah, something like that would be. That's Mike Milligan. What you gonna oh do God. when I shoot a gun in your face? Yeah, there was a there was an angle with Stone Cold Steve Austin and Brian Pillman back in the day that involved a gun. Uh, this was probably around '96, and people lost their minds because you don't have guns in wrestling for crying out loud. So uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me to see him cross a similar line at another point uh, in the future. Uh, and you know, Mike Milligan really is just uh, he's great coming out. He's and he he also like a wrestler puts on his ring gear. He puts on specific <laughs> attire to carry yes. out this act. Yeah. And I think that's right great. because remember the the part of the racist uh, thing that he says to him he calls him eggplant he's wearing a very eggplant type color uh, jacket so I thought it was great. Right. Yeah, um, yeah I, one of the things that I was uh, thinking about when I watched this is I, I know a lot of people were talking about this and I think they're absolutely right. I didn't think about it when I first saw the scene was there is kind of a little bit of tie in a little bit to um, the great pulp. Pulp Fiction, which is one of my favorite Quentin Tarantino movies, because that guy, the gun detector, he does look a lot like the wolf, doesn't he? The the fixer guy that comes in and uh, ah, yeah, 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 so there's definitely some nice tie ins, too. And then the fact that he gets killed with that particular sleeve gun, which there's a great scene recently in Django where uh, where the sleeve gun is used, too. So. I know this is a nice tie. I don't know if they did it on purpose, but it was it was you know I I agree with those people that that made that uh, reference there online because I thought that was it. I could see it. I could definitely see yeah, it. I mean, but what is what is the Alan Ar- what is the Theotone and Alan Arkin character think is going to happen? That Milliken's just going to let this guy come in and kill him? I don't know. Well, it's a great like, question. He- 
he thinks that he's going to come in and take over the operation. Maybe, you know, he, I, I think that, you know, the way that Alan Arkin is talking to him over the phone from Kansas City, I think that the way that he is speaking to this man, he is showing very, very little respect. Yeah. He is speaking yeah, oh, yeah. to Mike he's Milligan in, in language that I don't feel comfortable repeating. Right. Uh, but he's talk, he's really talking down to this guy and saying, like, you're just like another one of them. And, you know, he's not talking about this guy as somebody who is competent and capable and is intelligent and is uh, ambitious. He's talking to him as though he's just a total freaking failure. So maybe he's just completely, obviously he is just completely underestimating Mike Milligan and Mike Milligan's survival instincts and Mike Milligan's willingness to just roll over and let the undertaker come in and take over the operation. I don't think that it's his character is Hamish broker. I don't think that that's the Adam Arkin character. I don't think the broker is calling Mike Milligan and saying the undertaker is coming. and He's going to put a bullet in you. I think he's saying the undertaker is coming. He's taking over the operation. He's going to clear out the Gerhards, and you're going to work for that guy. Yeah, and I think, and I think Mike Undertaker is going to kill Milligan, though. I was going to yeah, say, I, think, I think there's a very yeah. yeah well, reaching I think, into his uh, jacket in the elevator, yes, looking for his thank gun. You. Thank you. Yeah, he's you know he's he's making sure that he's prepared if that happens. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that could that uh, could be a two, Josh. You're right. I mean, I took I was like Antonio as soon as I saw him look like he was looking into his jacket for his gun. I was like, oh boy, some shit's gonna happen now. <laughs> you know, because right. I thought there was gonna be a huge gunfight. But I think you're right, Josh. I think maybe he's more of just kind of you know we're gonna make you know tucking it in, make sure it's ready to go in case I needs it. But uh, unfortunately for the it's Undertaker, right. Mike was ready to go. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's Mike Milligan. Oh, my God. My God, Mike Milligan has broken him in half. Yeah, there's a lot of great names of uh, like wrestler type characters. That's Bear Gerhardt. <laughs> That's his brother, Dodd. <laughs> yeah. They've got the straps. Oh, God, Hansy Dancy. The Gerhardt brothers at it again. That's Mike Milligan with the kitchen, brother. Oh, no, wait a minute. It's the butcher of Laverne. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With a surprise attack. Oh, yeah, this God. is great. You could have maybe that's how this season's gonna end like bruno style in some sort of mma brawl that's lauren malvo oh my god <laughs> yeah. joe bulo is in the ring well I, I guess we definitely have to to uh, talk a little bit about what we think ed's up to right yeah yeah, yeah I mean, oh, man, it, but i just i just want to keep talking about the all WWF, right let's keep talking about aka this. the worldwide wrestling fargo <laughs> uh it's i just want to stay here forever no we, we should we should talk about ed who pops up at the end of the episode here in a really baller scene and i mean we didn't talk about this much at all but um throughout the episode bear is speaking with the buffalo boy and the buffalo boy is saying hey you're getting these phone calls about dodd and bears like shut up leave dodd alone like dodd is gone tell who if they call back tell them to to talk to somebody else, which is bad bear. That's a bad bear. Yeah. Bad bear. Bad call bear. You should really be controlling the situation. Even if the outcome is you bring Dodd out to wherever you left Simone, you should be in control of that situation. So bad on bear. And it leaves the door open for Ed to call up Mike Milligan. Oh my God. And he offers up Dodd Gerhardt. <laughs> and I don't know. I don't know what next episode is going to look like. I, I wonder if we're going to now get to see everything that was up with Ed and Peggy that we didn't get to see in this episode i certainly hope so because we're hearing whispers about hansy dent who is shooting people up in sioux falls and we're starting to get a fairly clear picture or at least a clearer picture of what the sioux falls massacre looks like yep. so i don't know i mean i thought that this was a really strong episode that had some maybe a few logic gaps that are that are worth stopping down and talking about as we did but i'm really pumped about the future of the season i think that we're really geared up for some pretty amazing stuff moving forward i agree 100 yeah, I- absolutely this is going to be great and 
we uh, we're going to find out what Ann and Peggy's plan are right away. I think you're right, Josh. I think that's the the direction we're headed for this episode. I think there's a lot of it's going to be giving us a little bit of the backstory, the finding out what their plan is, and I think it definitely involves somehow getting the Gerhards and KC to Sioux Falls. I don't know if they're hoping, maybe they're hoping that the two of them would just shoot it out and they'll be okay. I don't, I don't know what their whole plan is, but it's going to be interesting. Go ahead, Antonio. Yeah, it's tough for me because I don't know how much time has passed. I think that a lot of people were sort of debating about this on this episode. Clearly, some time has passed. And I think it's safe to assume that probably what happens, as I said, is that Ed, defying all logic and expectation, makes his way home after he runs away from Lou and Hank, who couldn't be arsed to chase him down. He gets home. Peggy's there. They put Dodd in the trunk. They drive off. And she convinces him to drive to Sioux Falls because she's got the Lifespring Conference to attend. And they end up in that area. You see it sort of on his phone booth. Uh, when Ed is calling, you see this sort of fill in the blank for Sioux Falls there. Um, I think it's definitely a shout out. We hear, uh, obviously, the story, Josh, as you were referencing, uh, that's probably the beginning of the Sioux Falls massacre. Um, it seems likely that Lou and Hank are headed that direction because Ben Schmidt is a shit cop. And so they're going to go try to save the day. Uh, so all of that is sort of converging. But what the, the wild card in play here is, is that Ed had been calling for Bear, as you're pointing out, Josh, and he ignored it. But we know Floyd eventually does take that call. And, and Bear hot, hot, runs inside after her. And this is before we hear Milligan get the call. And how did Ed know to call Milligan? How did Ed know where he was, if not from the Gerhards? Like, right? Like, it, that, doesn't that have to be that Ed got tipped off to where Milligan was through Bear Gerhard or through the Gerhard family because they know the hotel where he's staying? Uh, and that's why Bear Gerhard ended up there to begin with. I think that that's a distinct possibility. And that, yeah, it's on the table. I, I think yeah, that, Ed is setting, I, Ed, that Ed is setting up the Gerhard. I like the theory. Not, I like the theory that the fact that they've got Dodd it's probably you know they got him tied up they got him they got him and i get the feeling that maybe they somehow coursed it out of him or something maybe it's very possible but somehow he did get that number and i I understand why a lot of the fans are a little confused like how in the hell did he know to call mike but but i think we're going to get that backstory i really do yeah, I think so too. And, you know, we'll see exactly where that all comes to bear. I'm excited for it. We can't forget this is a show that jumped us ahead a year uh, in first in the first season and didn't really blink doing it. They did it in the middle of a scene. So it's entirely possible that this show can jump around and play with time a little bit and it'll be perfectly acceptable. And I think we'll all love it. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited to think that we could get that as a possibility. I didn't watch the preview for next week. So me neither. I don't know. And I don't want to know. I kind of want to just jump into it next week and be surprised by where we pick up because the ending was so so good yeah it was great 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 ending uh anything else from this episode jeremiah that we didn't talk about that you would like to speak about right now no my friend i think this time we've actually covered covered it all i don't can't can't think of anything but uh i'm very excited about next week yeah me too and antonio you're good you're queer you're happy two things real quick floyd's pipe awesome Awesome. Oh, yeah. Uh, no Dodd. Awesome. That was the only thing left in my notes. <laughs> now I get why this is your favorite episode of the season. <laughs> yep. I also uh, really did like when when uh, when Lou does tell uh, Schmidt that he's a shit cop. Hank just falls out. He's cracking up. I know. It's great. It's really, yeah. really good. <laughs> and I and I like that. I like that Schmidt goes, well, uh, I'm getting promoted next month, so can't be that bad. Oh, yeah. Right. Exactly. Because the system <laughs> like, doesn't really encourage shut. anything at all. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, just shut up, dude. Jeez, <laughs> unbelievable. Um, I think if there if there's one more point that I would like to touch on, and it's you know it's it's not a cliffhanger in the obvious way that um, that this episode ends on with Ed teasing Dodd out to Mike Milligan, but I think there's an emotional you know question that's in play right now, which is is Lou Salverson going to solve this thing in time to get back to see his wife die, mm-hmm. or is she going to die while he's away? And I and I think that that's in play right now. And there's, you know, this really beautiful, mournful phone conversation that's going on between them. That's really just like a sweet, tender moment between this really deeply in love married couple, even if she is kind of being a little, um, you know, self-deprecating about it when she's talking to Carl at one point. I feel like that's a real question that's in play. And that is, it's very, it's very intense. I really, I really hope that you know, we get some sort of closure with these two characters, but I think that that's one of the things that that the show wants to be tense and up in the air right now is where are Lou and Betsy going to land at the end of this thing together in terms of uh, where they will be? Will they be in the same space? Will things happen as they're far apart? So I'm tracking that. I'm I'm watching that. Oh yeah, yeah I think that to. I think that that's I hope that that Betsy survives the season. Um, I think it's possible that she does. I think it. I think so too. People are 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 giving doom and gloom about will she die? I think she's going to die. We know she dies. I mean, I don't know if we know that she dies of cancer, right? Uh, no, we don't know no, how she's so I got that's that's why a scene like when she was lurking around her father's house could have ended in her just like falling over or uh you know Hansy right. could have been there right she could easily be I mean Lou seems worried that something could happen I don't know he also is worried about her generally so he wants people there in the house at all times but I mean it is entirely possible that she survives the season I would hope that that's what happens but you're right the converse is also possible that she doesn't stay alive long enough for Lou and Hank to even make it back. And that would be pretty tough. I I don't think that's what's going to happen. I don't sense that she's on death's door. She's not hospice ready. She's not kind of only bedridden. She's still going around, driving on her own, doing all these things. I have hope she can, that this character will make it to the end of the season, but I'm not sure that it will happen. Yeah. I just had this conversation a few hours um, on Facebook. It just, few hours before we did the podcast and that is exactly what i said i said you know i could see an argument for either way that you know this could this could happen that you know she could die while he's gone but i just get this feeling she's gonna make it out of this this uh, entire season actually at this point i really do but i, I hope i'm right but uh, i could cross i could i could see it go the other way too so Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. I don't want to have to see Betsy. No, I would, I would, I would really rather not. We know that it's going to happen at some point in the future. I'd really rather not see it. But Absolutely. you know, if they, if, if it happens and it's a beautiful scene, then that's that's another thing. All right, let's call it here. Let's say that is a wrap on this crazy episode of Barco. What's our did hashtag, you do, Josh? Did you do this? No, you did it. Uh, did I do that? Uh, well, we had some options. I think. Um, hey, I think Hangry, Hangry, Hangry Bear. Bear was it was an early front runner. <laughs> I think WW Fargo is pretty yes. funny too right now. Yeah. Uh, so take your pick. If you if you do hashtag WW Fargo, we would like you to narrate uh, a, a wrestling match in the in the Fargo. There you go. I feel like, I feel like <laughs> that would be fair. All right, follow Jeremiah on Twitter. He's at J Panhorn. And Antonio is. Oh my God! It's at AC Mazzaro. <laughs> and I'm at Rand Howard. And I'm at Rand yeah. Howard. All right. So follow, follow what we're doing. Subscribe to Post Show Recaps. PostShowRecaps.com slash iTunes. Follow Post Show Recaps on Twitter at Post Show Recaps. And if you want the Fargo-specific feed as well, you can go to PostShowRecaps.com slash Fargo. iTunes will be back next week to talk about Episode 8 of Fargo Season 2 called Lop Lop. 
<laughs> I don't know what that means, but we'll find out. We'll find out. Lop Lop. I mean, Lop Lop's not as weird of a title as Did You Do This? No, You Did It. Did I Do That? Uh, so anyway. All right. That'll be that. We'll talk to you all again next week. Jeremiah Antonio, peace out. Cheers.